Amen. Please turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13. We're going to begin in verse 24. Earlier, I forgot to mention, it's good to have Paul and Janelle and and Jaron here and Paul and Janelle's kids. So it's good to look out and see you guys again. So we're, last week we began, our, uh, of course we're studying through the Gospel of Matthew, but last week we entered into Matthew chapter 13, which is a series of parables on the kingdom of God. And so I just want to remind you what, what we mentioned last time, that parables are designed to expose and divide people into either uh, two groups, believers or unbelievers. So parables um, have this divisive purpose and they actually accomplish two things at once. To those who have, have already shown a receptiveness to, to Christ and his word, then parables will be a blessing. They will um, help to further reveal and teach more truth, more truth about Christ, more truth about the kingdom of God specifically, right? But to those who have already demonstrated a a resistance to Jesus and his word, to those who've already um, demonstrated unbelief or rejecting Christ, then parables parables serve to actually further harden them in their unbelief because they, to them, to those type of people, parables will be even more confusing and and it it serves as kind of like a judicial hardening um, and kind of further further um, driving them into their unbelief that they've already demonstrated. So uh, we're still in these, these series of parables today, and our text today is going to be verses 24 through 43, which contains three parables. If, you, if you're looking through there, you probably have headings. Uh, the parable of the weeds, the parable of the mustard seed, um, and the parable of um, leaven. And so today we want to the structure of our passage is Jesus is going to give those three parables, and then Matthew, after that, is going to give us a kind of like a brief commentary, again, talking about why is Jesus speaking in parables, and specifically a fulfillment there. And then, as we saw last week with the parable of the soils, uh, Jesus is going to have a private conversation with his disciples explaining one of those parables. See, when he gives the first three, when he gives those three parables at the beginning of the passage, he's giving that to the crowds. But then later, there's going to be this private time of instruction with his disciples. So as I was thinking about that this week, again, I was just thinking about how blessed we are to have God's word preserved for us, that we get to have an audience in all those private teaching times, all, the, all, that, all those times that, that the crowds weren't necessarily privy to, that, but that Jesus is instructing his disciples what a blessing it is that we have those that truth revealed for us in God's word. And so again, may God give us hearts to receive it today. So let's, let me read our passage, and I'd ask you to please stand in honor of God's word. So I'll read Matthew chapter, 24, uh, chapter 13, verses 24 through 43. He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared also. 
And the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? He said to them, An enemy has done this. So the servant said to him, Then do you want us to go and gather them? That he, meaning gather the weeds up? No, he said, Lest in gathering the weeds you root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest, and at harvest time I will tell the reapers, gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It's the smallest of all seeds, but when it has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leavened. All these things Jesus said to the crowds in parables. Indeed, he said nothing to them without a parable. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter what has been hidden since the foundation of the world. Then he left the crowds and went into the house. And his disciples came to him and saying, explain to us the parable of the weeds of the field. He answered, the one who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world, and the good seed is the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one, and the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are angels. Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The son of man will send his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers, and throw them into the fiery furnace." In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears, let him hear. Father, thank you once again for giving us your word. Please, as as you just said, by your Holy Spirit, please give us ears to hear, to truly hear and understand your word, that we may know you, that we may respond and bring glory to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Please be seated. The title of the sermon today is Expectations for the Kingdom of God. The Jews in Jesus' day had some mistaken expectations about the kingdom of God. They were, they were highly anticipating the coming kingdom of God, and understandably so, because the Old Testament prophets had, had been proclaiming the, the, the coming of the Messiah. Remember, the Messiah is God's anointed king. And so God, through his word, what we would call the Old Testament, had been promising that the Messiah would come. And when he came, he would bring in the kingdom of God. And so with that, he, when the Messiah comes and what, what the Jews were looking forward to is the Messiah, when he comes, he's going to judge uh, God's enemies. He's going to judge the wicked. He's going to bring his redeemed people into a new creation. And so with the coming of, the, of God's kingdom, they were expecting God's universal rule would break in and, and, and God would reign forever in righteousness and everlasting peace. And it's understandable why they, why they thought that. Because that, again, that's how the prophets were, were proclaiming it. And it's not that the prophets were wrong. Um, it's just they were looking at it as all one event but what, what we learn with the coming of Jesus is that was going to happen over two different uh, comings, right? He would come at the beginning to redeem his people from sin and death and, and inaugurate the kingdom. But later he would come 
and, and judge and, and establish that eternal kingdom. So again, put yourself in, in Jesus' hearers. They anticipated that when the Messiah comes, yeah, he's, he's supposed to judge our enemies, so he's going to get rid of the Romans. He's going to restore the glorious Davidic kingdom. He's going to establish Israel once again as supreme over all, their, all the nations. So again, they were expecting, they were anticipating that the kingdom of God would be a physical kingdom with Jerusalem at the center, right? But like I said, they didn't understand that the kingdom of God would come in two phases. And that's why in your notes... Uh, you have a definition of the kingdom of God that, that it's God's redemptive rule over his people. That's what Christ was bringing in right now. That for now, the kingdom was not going to be a physical, geographical kingdom with borders. Rather, it was uh, a kingship. Right? It was God's rule, God's reign. That now through Jesus, through the coming of the Messiah, God was rescuing people from the bondage of sin, rescuing them from eternal death, the penalty of sin. That, that God, the, the gospel that was being proclaimed was that everyone who would turn from their rebellion and, and embrace Jesus as God's king would be forgiven of their sins. They'd be set free from the ruling power of sin. They'd be placed in the everlasting kingdom of God. And so another way you hear that talked about is Already not yet, right? And that's, that's, that's true. That was true in, as Jesus was bringing in the kingdom. It's true of us today. The kingdom of God is already present through the gospel, through as Christ is saving people. God's redemptive rule is, is, is going forth. So it's already present, but it's not yet completed. It's, we haven't seen the, the culmination of the kingdom of God yet. One day at Christ's second coming, then the enemies of God would be judged and the kingdom of God will become a physical kingdom that covers the whole earth, the Bible says, and all evil will be gotten rid of. So the Jews in Jesus' day needed to be taught more about the kingdom of God because they had these mistaken expectations, right? They needed to... So that's what Jesus is doing with these parables. He's teaching them about, Matthew says, the kingdom of heaven. It's the same thing as the kingdom of God. That's just how the, Matthew talks about it. So he's teaching them to have a proper expectation. And again, we need the same today because we're living in that same time period. We're living in, that all, in between that already and not yet. And so you can imagine uh, the Jews who were Believing that Jesus is the Messiah, those who are starting to follow him, they're thinking, hey, this is great, man. God's going to move in a mighty way. We're going to see amazing things. And they were seeing amazing things in the healing. But again, I'm thinking they were expecting seeing amazing things as God's rule goes forth. And, and, and enemies are judged. And people are bowing down left and right. Well, no, that isn't exactly how it was going to happen, right? And so... Uh, it, you know, as we follow Christ today and as we look around and we say, why is there so much evil? Why is there so much opposition? Why does it seem like uh, sometimes, you know, Christians are losing, so to speak, right? It's because we need to understand the way the kingdom works, the way the kingdom of God grows and what God's plan is for that. So I, I trust that these parables will be a help to us today to have the right perspective, the right expectations and that it will fill us with encouragement and hope in what God is doing and what he promises to do. 
All right, so before we get into the parables themselves, I want us to look at that middle section there quickly, verse 34 and 35. Matthew kind of gives a little aside, a little commentary in verse 34. All these things Jesus said to the crowds in parables. Indeed, he said nothing to them without a parable. Now remember, who's Matthew writing to primarily in his, his gospel? He's writing to Jews, right? So we know Matthew, we've seen this Already many times, right? He loves to highlight whenever Jesus fulfills Old Testament scripture. Because the very people that Matthew's writing to are the ones who've been schooled in Old Testament scripture. He's trying to show them that Jesus is the promised Messiah. So whenever Jesus fulfills uh, a promise or, or some kind of Old Testament scripture, Matthew likes to highlight it. And that's exactly what he's doing here. Because look at verse 35. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter what has been hidden since the foundation of the world. Now, your Bible probably gives you a little footnote. That's a quote from Psalm 78.2, which is written by Asaph. And we don't normally think of Asaph being a prophet, right? Most of the fulfillment things have been like, oh, well, the prophet Isaiah said this, right? Or Ezekiel said this. Well, here he's saying Asaph, and Matthew calls him a prophet here. And a prophet was just someone who was bringing a message from God to God's people that was designed to bring about an effect on those who heard it. And what, if you look back at Psalm 78, and you can do that on your own time, but it's a psalm that's recounting the history of Israel. It's just going through, it's like Asaph is teaching the next generation what has transpired before, and he's, he's going through the history of Israel, how they've gotten to this place, and as he does that, he highlights two main themes. He highlights the faithfulness of God to his people, but he also highlights um, the, the stubbornness, the unbelief of God's people, the heart, their hardness of heart. And so the purpose of Psalm 78 was to teach this next generation of Israelites to not be like your forefathers. Don't be disobedient. Don't be hard-hearted. Don't be slow to, to trust in the Lord. He's teaching them God is faithful. God is good. Obey him. And so it's really neat what Matthew does here because when you can think about it, Asaph was taking Israel's history in order to teach and spur on a new generation to obedience and faithfulness to God. And now we fast forward here to the first century. Matthew says, guess what? Jesus is doing the same thing. He's doing the same thing that Asaph did. Only Jesus isn't just recounting Israel's history. He is the embodiment of Israel's history. Remember back in the Sermon on the Mount when, we, when Jesus said, you know, don't think I've come to abolish the law and the prophets. No, I've not come to abolish them. I've come to fulfill them, right? And we, we talked about that, how Jesus fulfills the Old Testament. He is the faithful son. He is the true Israel. And so here we've got, it's just, I mean, it's just kind of cool the way Matthew does this. We've got Jesus here as the embodiment of Israel's history. And what is he doing here in Matthew 13? He's teaching He's revealing truths specifically about the kingdom of God. All right, so again, we have three parables in our text today, and each parable is going to teach us an important truth about the kingdom of God. Uh, You've got um, some blanks there in your notes if you want to take notes today, and I'll share those with you. Since the Since the parable of the weeds, the first parable there is kind of broken up with the parable and then the explanation, I'm going to move it to the end, and we'll just jump right into the... Um, the parable of the mustard seed in verse 31. 
Okay, so let's look at verse 31. He put another parable before them saying, the kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. So what's he telling us about the kingdom of God? What, what do we need to understand about the kingdom? Well, it's this. The kingdom of God has small beginnings but it experiences great growth. It has small beginnings, but it experiences great growth. See, he says the mustard seed, it was, well, we could say it was proverbial, proverbially the smallest of all seeds. In other words, technically it wasn't the, the smallest. There were smaller seeds out there, but Jesus is not trying to give a horticulture lesson here. He's taking something that was familiar to them. He's making an observation that they would, could relate to and knew and he says, think about the mustard seed. Think about, it's, it's the smallest of all seeds, right? And it's, it's less than one millimeter in diameter, if you want to know the, the, the specifics there. Yet from this tiny seed grows a tree, a tree that can be 12 feet tall. So what st- his point is, what starts out as this tiny, tiny seed grows to this large tree. And again, <laughs> uh, those of us who live close to the sequoias, we may not think a 12-foot tree is that tall, right? You know, I mean, Matt can pretty much touch the top of a 12-foot tree, can't you? <laughs> Carson, okay. But uh, again, the point is, is the change, right? From this small tree comes something so big. And the point of the parables is to show that, yes, the kingdom of God begins small, but where is it going? It's going to end big it's going to have it's going to experience great growth and that's what this parable is showing it's showing that the kingdom of god's going to grow and eventually it's going to reach all nations right that's what the bible says the gospel is going to reach into all nations and that may be even what he's kind of hinting at with the talking about the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches in in daniel and ezekiel those prophets, they would use that picture of birds coming to rest in trees. That they use that to symbolize um, the Gentile nations coming and finding shelter in, in God's kingdom. And so that, that may very well be what Jesus is pointing to. But he's saying despite the very small beginnings, this kingdom is going to end up large. It's going to end up so large, it's going to be a place where people from all over, from all different cultures, all different backgrounds, all different languages, all different religions, it's going to be a place where they can find rest and forgiveness of sins because Jesus is the one true Savior and Lord of all. But they need to understand the kingdom is going to start small. Again, remember they had in their mind, oh, this is going to be like a revolution, you know? And he's saying, no. I mean, think about it. They, They should have already been kind of getting the clues about that. I mean, where did, how did the Messiah come to earth? You know, did he come with a lot of fanfare? Did he come, you know, was he born in a palace? No, he came so very humbly. He was born in a manger in Bethlehem. He grew up in relative obscurity as a carpenter in, the, in, a, in a small town, Nazareth. And now he had gathered this, <laughs> he hadn't got out, went out and got the best and the brightest in the world's eyes, no, he gathered this kind of motley crew of, of fishermen and, and a tax collector and a zealot, and, right? And so this was very humble beginnings. 
And then when you think about Jesus' ministry, it only lasted three years. Um, And like we said, yeah, great crowds are following him initially, but they're eventually, a lot of them are going to fall away. A lot of them are going to reject him and say, no, no, this teaching's too hard. He's not making any sense. Uh, He's not doing what we expected him to do. And so he's going to actually be rejected and crucified on a Roman cross and buried in another man's tomb. So yeah, to the world's eyes, it wasn't going to be a very impressive beginning. But yet that's what he's saying. The kingdom of God starts small. It starts kind of unimpressively. But God's at work. And he's going to do mighty things through that. Because after his resurrection, Jesus commissioned the 12 to go into all the world and to make disciples. And, and already then in the book of Acts, we see how quickly the gospel does spread. It does experience great growth, doesn't it? You know, you got uh, this, this small band that's gathered there at Pentecost. And then when the Spirit comes and then, and then now 3,000 people are saved. And the Word of God's increasing and more people are saved. And so, yes, it begins small, but it does experience great growth. And that's because the gospel is life-giving, right? The, the seed contains resurrection life. Just as Jesus died and rose again in power, so the kingdom of God powerfully advances. And that's the same way it's ad- advancing now as the gospel is proclaimed, as the good news of, of the finished work of Christ goes out. The Spirit of God gives life to dead hearts and the kingdom of God continues to grow. People are are rescued from Satan's domain. They're placed in the kingdom of God. Those who had been turning their back on on Christ, those who were rebels, now God gives them a new heart. He gives them faith. They change and they, they bow the knee to Christ. And so he's teaching them how the kingdom of God was going to grow and spread. And we, we get to see glimpses of that in the Bible already. But then you go and look at the very end in the book of Revelation and you see that the redeemed will consist of people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. So yes, it starts off small, but in the end it's going to be huge. So huge that that people from all over the world will be a part of it. So that's the first thing he's teaching them. Don't, Don't judge the kingdom just by the way it starts. It's going to start small, not to the scale that you expect, but it's going to grow and become large, reaching all the nations. The second parable teaches a very similar uh, truth, just maybe a slightly nuanced difference here. So point number two in your outline is, the kingdom of God has unnoticeable beginnings, but it produces powerful transformation. Look at verse 33. That's this, this parable of the leaven. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leavened. So here, once again, Jesus uses a picture they would have known very well, been familiar with. They knew how baking worked. And, and um, you know, this probably wasn't like a, a, a bottle or pinch of yeast. This was probably like a batch of sourdough or something, right, that you put in and, and then you work it through, Right? They, they would have understood that. The leaven, what happens? Well, as you, as you put that small bit of leaven into this big batch of dough, and that is a lot of dough he's talking about there, a lot of flour, it, it, it slowly gets worked in, and what happens? It permeates, it spreads. That leaven has a, an influence. It has a permeating, penetrating influence. Okay? And that's what the point of the parable is. So, 
Sometimes, because in other cases, Jesus, when he, when he brings up leaven, it's, it's talking about sin, right? And so we think, oh, leaven's bad. You know, it's talking about the corrupting influence of sin. But that's not what he's talking about here, right? You know, that when we interpret our Bibles, we have to just see what does the text say it, itself, right? We don't want to bring in something else from the outside. What's it teaching? Well, here he's saying, no, this is the, the leaven is the kingdom of, it's like the kingdom of God, So this is not a negative picture, this is a positive picture. The kingdom of God is going to cause this internal transformation, just like a little bit of leaven transforms the the dough that it's put in. Okay, that's what he's teaching here. And think about it, we see that person by person as they enter the kingdom of God, don't we? When God saves someone through the gospel, what happens? Well, God powerfully and graciously gives them a new heart. He changes their, their heart, and then he starts to transform them from the inside out, just like leaven, doesn't he? Uh, their, their eyes are opened. Now they, now they believe that Jesus is the Savior. Now they believe that Jesus is the King. Now they want to live for him, and so they start following him, and, and, and slowly their sinful habits are being are being cast off and they're being replaced by godly habits and, and God's increasing their, their, their love for God. God's increasing their, their love for others. God is changing their desires and their hearts. They're being transformed because the gospel has this penetrating influence and that's what he's teaching about the gospel and that's what he's teaching about the kingdom of God as a whole. Think about it when, when God saves one member, one member of a family right? Let's say you've got a whole family of unbelievers. Somehow God saves one of the members, let's say the, the, one of the parents, right? So now the kingdom of God has come into that home, right? Because the kingdom of God is, is wherever God's people are, right? Remember, the kingdom of God is God's redemptive rule. It's, it's Christ ruling in their hearts for now, right? One day it'll be a physical kingdom. But so think about when the kingdom of God comes into a family, what, what might happen to that family, there might be an influence, right? There might be a permeating influence by God's grace. A father who used to be selfish and worldly, now he's seeking to, to lead his family in worshiping God, right? Or, or if it was the mother who was saved, maybe she used to be short-tempered and bitter, and now the husband and the kids are like, wow, mom's a lot more patient now, right? Mom's, mom's a lot <laughs> nicer now. She's, she's more loving now. She's not perfect, but she's seeking to serve her family now. She's displaying Christ before their watching eyes. And by God's grace, that can have an influence, right? The kingdom of God can spread. The gospel can spread into the new hearts through that person's testimony. And certainly we've heard testimonies of that. Many of you probably have testimonies of that, where maybe it was a coworker or a family member or someone close to you who God saved, and you saw a change in them. And it caused you to start looking into Christ as well. So Jesus is saying the kingdom of God grows. And as it grows, it transforms people. It changes them. And then, you know, as people are transformed, the kingdom of God can even have this influence, this this, uh, pervasive, positive influence on whole cultures and whole societies. And, 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 we read about that, like when we read missionary biographies, right? And when, the, you know, the, the gospel comes to a tribal, a tribe or something, right? You know, that had never heard of Jesus before. And they were practicing all kinds of things like, you know, 
human sacrifice or, or, or voodoo or something, right? But then the gospel comes in, God starts saving people, and they realize, we, we're, we can't live this way. This is not right. And it changes. It influences even how they live. It influences their, their immediate culture, their immediate surroundings. And that's what he's teaching. That, that yes, the kingdom of God is powerful and it brings change, but not, not like the crusades kind of way, right? Where we're just going to conquer you and, and you know, force you to believe. No, it's an internal change. It's a spirit wrought change, right? So the gospel has a transforming effect. And that's what Jesus says, you know, by, by their fruits you, you will know them, right? When the kingdom of God, when someone is transferred from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of God, it should make a difference. There should be new life. There should be fruit from the Holy Spirit. It should transform the way they think about God, the way their priorities, what they're, what they're pursuing. And so I think this is a call to be in be patient, be encouraged, keep sowing the seed of God's word and, keep, and, and uh, bathe it with prayer and ask God to, to change their, their hearts from the inside. Because another, I think another nuance of this parable is the leaven is hidden, right? It's hidden. We don't always see the work that's happening, but, but by God's grace, there may be work happening beneath the surface, it, God's at work. He's permeating the dough, even though we can't see it. And so he was seeking to encourage them, and I trust it encourages us that the kingdom of God is growing, the gospel is spreading. We just don't always hear about it, right? The world's news points us to all the bad stuff going on. We, we often don't hear about how the, the gospel is spreading, how the kingdom is growing, but it is, it is at work. God is at work. All right, let's tackle the last parable then. I'll go ahead and read it, and then we'll, we'll make some observations, and then I'll, I'll give the point for the outline, okay? Look at verse 24. He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field, but while his men were sleeping, that's like his servants, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. By the way, the point is not that, oh, they shouldn't have been sleeping. You know, we assume this, this happened at night, right? You know, I mean, this, this is just the way it happened. Verse 26, so when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared also. And the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? He said to them, an enemy has done this. So the servants said to him, then do you want us to go and gather them? But he said, no, lest in gathering the weeds you root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at harvest time I will tell the reapers, gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned. But gather the wheat into my barn. So let's try to understand the picture first, then we'll get to his explanation. And again, I think Jesus' hearers would have been familiar with this picture. They probably knew times when this had happened, right? When, when some scoundrel had done this to his, his neighbor or whatever. Uh, uh, you've got a man who has a field, he sows wheat in it, right? But then at night or whenever it's unexpected, this enemy comes, uh, sows weeds in the field. And there was a particular type of plant called darnel that was a, a, a type of weed, but it was like a, a, a type of ryegrass that had um, this 
poisonous black seeds, apparently kind of almost like a type of fungus. And, and what would happen is, initially, it kind of looks like the wheat. But as they get bigger, you realize, oh, no, there's, it's different, right? You know, especially when it comes to bearing fruit, it's like, wow, this is wheat and this is weeds. And so that's what's happened here. By the time it's discovered, hey, there's weeds in that field, then it's, it's too late to, uh, to try to pull those weeds out because now the roots are tangled together. And so if you would go in and try to pull those weeds out, you're going to uproot the wheat. And so what the owner is saying is we got to wait till harvest time. we got to wait till the, till the end when it's harvested. Then the, the things will be separated, okay? Then the wheat and the weeds will be separated. So I trust that's a fairly straightforward picture. But Jesus explains it for us. Again, he explains it for the disciples, and we get to be a part of that now. Verse 36, Then he left the crowds and went into the house, and his disciples came to him, saying, Explain to us the parable of the weeds of the field. And so, uh, you know, if you like details, Jesus is going to give it to us, right? He's just going to say, Hey, this is this, and this is this, and this and this. All right, so it's really straightforward. He answered, verse 37, the one who sows the good seed is the son of man. That's Jesus. That's the Messiah. Son of man comes from Daniel 7, right? He's the, he's the uh, one whom the ancient of days gives all authority to, to reign forever. Verse 38, the field is the world. And the good seed, the wheat, right, are the sons of the kingdom. Those are the true believers, those whom God has saved. The weeds are the sons of the evil one. They're unbelievers, And the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are angels. Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers, and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. So when's he pointing to? He keeps saying the end of the age, the end of the age, right? He's talking about judgment day. He's talking about Christ's return. And the Bible makes it clear. You know, you could look different places like 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 talks about when when Christ returns, he's going to come with his angels. Uh, 2 Thessalonians 1 says... Uh, Verse 6, since indeed God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us, when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus, they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and away from the glory of his might when he comes on that day to be glorified in his saints and to be marveled at among all who have believed. So he's talking about judgment day. He's talking about Christ's return, the second coming of Christ. So the point for the outline, if you want to just write this truth down as we think about what is he teaching us about the kingdom of God what is he teaching about us living between the, the already and the not yet? Well, it's this. The kingdom of God has evil opposition now, but in the end, all evil will be removed and judged forever. Okay? The kingdom of God has evil opposition now, but in the end, all evil will be removed and judged forever. Again, think about the disciples as they're following Christ, as they're giving their life to follow Christ. Um, 
I'm sure it was a little disconcerting to them. Like, why do the religious leaders hate Jesus so much? You know? Uh, why are so, why do, are so many people against Jesus, right? And, and that opposition is only going to grow more and more. And, you know, that, that would kind of cause you concern, wouldn't it? You know, you're like, man, you know, I, I wish that all of us, especially our leaders, were embracing Jesus. You know, it kind of makes me doubt. Am, you know, am I wrong here? And, and Jesus is saying, no, the kingdom of God, the way, what's going to happen is there's going to be those who are opposed to it. It's not going to be just this, like, a great sweep through where everything's purged out and cleaned at the beginning. And that's what they were expecting, remember? They were expecting as soon as the kingdom of God comes, then all of God's enemies are going to be judged and removed at the beginning. And Jesus is saying that's not the way it's going to be. There's going to be opposition now. The judgment, the, the, divi- the division, the reaping comes later. Okay? Let me just say, um, in case you've, you know, read this or have heard this other places. Through the years, several have interpreted this parable as talking about false professors within the church, right? They're saying, oh, you know, these weeds, they kind of looked like the weed at the beginning, but they're, they're really false professors, and, and he's talking about the church. Um, and certainly Matthew talks about that. He, he addresses that, that, that theme of false professors many places in his gospel, Right? So it is a reality that that can happen, right? You know, uh, false teachers who are wolves in sheep's clothing, right? Those who say to me at the end, Lord, Lord, did we not do this in your name, right? So, I mean, that is a, a danger that we need to be aware of. But that, that's not what Jesus is teaching here in Matthew 13, okay? So we need to just kind of keep that clear in our minds. Look at verse 38. Jesus clearly says, the field is the world, the field is the world. So he's not narrowly just talking about the church. He's just talking about what's life like in the kingdom of God. Well, the fact is, in the kingdom of God, you live among unbelievers. Right? You live among unbelievers, and there's going to be opposition. I mean, think about it. That's very different than most kingdoms are, right? Most kingdoms are, it's like, okay, Let's all gather over here. Let's build a, a, a fort. Let's build a wall around it. Let's kind of huddle up and try to be safe together, right? And, and many people try to do that now. You know, they try to find, you know, let's, let's leave all the liberals. Let's, you know, let's go and find some place where we can all just, where we all believe the same thing, right? And he's saying that's not the way it's, that's just not the way God's designed it to be. The kingdom of God is not one geographic area. The kingdom of God exists in each person whom God has saved. And for now, you live right among unbelievers. Right? And those unbelievers are going to be opposing Christ, opposing you. Do not be surprised when the world hates you, Jesus says. It hated me first, right? That's what he's teaching here. Just expect it. Just understand that right now the kingdom of God grows in the midst of unbelievers. But what's he pointing to? Really, the focus of the parable is not so much how do we get through now. He points our eyes to the end when Christ returns. He points Christians to the coming judgment at Christ's return. He's he's encouraging the disciples, hey, this opposition is not going to last forever. 
Jesus is coming again, and he will fully and finally defeat his enemies in the end. Jesus is the final judge, and his judgment will be perfect. He knows who are his, right? When, when the time comes for the reaping, his angels are going to know who, who are believers and who are not, who were, you know, out there in the world and, and claimed to be Christians, but they weren't, who were obviously adamantly opposed to Christ and who weren't. Right? He's going to know who are his. Jesus knows who are the true people of God and who are the children of the evil one. And so this teaches what the Bible teaches and, and uh, throughout, and Matthew's going to bring it up toward the end of his gospel, that the coming of Christ is going to create a great division. It's in Matthew 25, he's going to talk about the sheep being separated from the goats. And that's the same thing we see here, the wheat being separated from the weeds. The return of Christ is going to cause this division that goes through all humanity. Every single person alive will be divided into one of two groups. Those who are believers and those who are not. Those who have embraced Christ by faith as Lord and Savior and those who have have not. And what this parable is, is honing in on is those who have not trusted in Christ as Savior, those who have not bowed to him as King, will be judged. They'll be judged forever. Because the gospel is good news. It's good news that that Jesus has come and defeated sin and death and that he reigns forever, but it's news that demands a response. It's news that demands we bow to to the Lord Jesus. And those who have not bowed to him are still living in rebellion against him. They're still opposed to him. They're still living for themselves. And so he says they're going to be judged. They're going to be judged. They're going to be uh, thrown in the, what the Bible calls hell, the lake of fire prepared for Satan and his angels, a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth, a place of never-ending punishment. So as I kind of bring this to a close today, I, I would just, I want to offer that invitation once again today. You've heard that Jesus is king. You've heard that what he's done in his first coming. He came and defeated sin and death. He died in the place of sinners so that we could be forgiven. And he's reigning now in heaven, and he's coming again. He's coming again. And when he comes, he's going to gather his own, like gathering the wheat in the barn, and, he, and he's going to bring us into eternal life, perfect glorified bodies in the new heavens, new earth, but he's going to judge his enemies. And so the gospel goes forth and says, join his kingdom today. Commit to him as king today. Turn from your sins. Embrace him as your Lord today. Quit living for yourself. And recognize that you're a sinner who needs a savior. And that Jesus is that savior. That's the good news that is proclaimed. And so I extend that, that invitation to all here today. And then to those who are already believers by God's grace, I hope these parables encourage you. I hope they just give you grace to to persevere, to press on, to know that God is at work. He's growing his kingdom, right? The gospel is still going forth. We hear all the bad news. We experience the opposition. The world, that's that's what they're going to talk about is all the bad stuff. But no, the gospel is still going forth. It's still influencing and changing people life by life. And so let's, let's just keep serving God. Let's keep, keep um, seeking his kingdom. 
Let's keep telling others about Jesus. Keep sowing that seed to go to the parable last week because the kingdom of God is growing. God is still saving people. The leaven is working its way through the dough. He's, he's still working in us, isn't he? Right? I know we get frustrated even with our own lives, our own failings, but no, keep embracing the gospel. God's at work. He's gonna transform you. He's sanctifying you. He's preparing you for his return. Keep trusting in his grace. So don't give up. Keep, keep pouring over his word. Keep seeking Christ and be encouraged. I know we get tired of the struggle, right? I know we get tired of the evil. We get tired of, of, of the fight. We get tired of the internal fight against our flesh. We get tired of the fight against the world, just opposing Christ at every turn, pushing um, evil, an evil agenda. But be encouraged. One day, King Jesus is returning. He's coming again. And when he comes, he's gonna rid this world of evil once and for all. That's why I love that song, A Glorious Day, right? You know what a day that's gonna be when, when all evil is destroyed once and for all. And this is when, by the way, some of those promises will be ultimately fulfilled where, like Revelation eleven fifteen, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. And he shall reign forever and ever. Think of that day. Think what it's gonna be like forever in the kingdom of God where there's no more challenge to God's rule, where it is just the people of God existing together. Evil will have been judged and punished and cast off into hell and will be with God forever in his kingdom. No more opposition from without, no more opposition from within. We'll just be loving one another perfectly. We'll be serving him wholeheartedly. That's our hope. That's our blessed hope that we have. And so I trust that these parables remind you of that hope. Uh, Like it says there in verse 43, the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. That's our future. By God's grace, we will shine, not because of us, but because of him. The glory of the Lord is its light, right? We'll be reflecting the glory of the lamb and we'll be shining and be with God forever. Let's pray. Oh, Father, please encourage our hearts with this, with this truth, with this hope. Lord, we praise you that your kingdom, as, as Pastor John read earlier, is eternal. It's everlasting. And, and ever since, really, the, the dawn of time, ever since sin entered this world, let's say, uh, Satan has been trying to oppose you and oppose your, your, your plans. But you, you cannot be thwarted. Your kingdom continues to move forward. You faithfully brought forth the Messiah at the proper time. Jesus, we praise you for your finished work. And now you are building your church. Your kingdom is advancing. And the gates of hell cannot prevail against that either. And so please encourage us and equip us to live with the right mindset in in this time between the already and the not yet. Help us to be full of faith. Help us to be full of joy and hope. Yes, we, we get weary, but help us to always come back to you and abide in you for our rest and, and, and renewal. And may your kingdom come and may your will be done. May you add to your kingdom even today, Lord, through the gospel that goes forth. 
In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to continue to worship the Lord now um, by taking the Lord's Supper. So, as I was thinking about how this passage, you know, points us to Christ and to the Lord's Supper, I was thinking about final judgment, right? Because that's what, the, especially the parable of the weeds uh, is, is, all, is talking about, right? Is that final judgment where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth and where the wicked are, are eternally separated from God forever. And so I was thinking about the holiness of God, God's holy wrath against sin. And I was thinking about the grace he shows us in that all who are in Christ will never experience that. We will never be separated from God. We'll never be in that place of torment. And so I was thinking about 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 9, where Paul's rejoicing over the Thessalonians. He says, For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you, how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. And so that's what's so special about the Lord's Supper is it, it points us back and it points us forward, doesn't it? It reminds us that Jesus has borne the punishment we deserve in our place, right, on the cross. The bread and the, and the cup symbolize that, uh, how his body was crucified, how his blood was shed. But remember what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, right? As often as you take the Lord's Supper, you proclaim his death until he comes. It also points us forward to the very truth that we were reminded of today in Matthew 13, that Jesus is coming again. So as you take the Lord's Supper, I, I pray that you'll be um, blessed and encouraged that you, by God's grace, are a child of God, that you're the wheat, <laughs> that you're going to be gathered and, and get to be with him forever in his kingdom, that you'll never face his wrath. And may it also remind you and encourage you that Jesus is coming again. And may it fill your heart with longing for him to come. Okay? So if the men could come forward um, and distribute the elements to us, please. And as they do that, we'll just have uh, some time of silent um, time with the Lord. Um, so just think about those things, pray, confess sin, and um, just thank God and rejoice in, in what he has done for you.